Thanks for joining us for this week's edition of LifeWords Q&A with David Ray. We've been wrestling some very interesting topics over the last couple of weeks. Uh, white lies. Uh, is there such a thing as a tithe in the church these days? Uh, we've also been looking at what Jesus did before and after he spent some time on earth. You can uh, hear these discussions on previous episodes of LifeWords. They're available in uh, the podcast area of hope1032.com.au. But for today, welcome. And David, thanks for joining us again to uh, enlighten us about uh, life and faith. Well, thanks, Andrew. I hope it's enlightening. <laughs> it certainly is. Uh, today, we're going to be looking at a few different questions. Uh, and if you've got a question, we'll give you the email soon. But uh, some of the things talking about uh, Christian music, we're going to be talking about, uh, you know, do we have to be born again? But first, David, um, yeah, with the uh, with the development of the internet, the world of uh, pornographic uh, magazines and images is just rife, and uh, there's very few of us who haven't been exposed to it. Our first question is, why do you think we have such an em- uh, epidemic of pornography today, and why are Christians so against it? Well, I think you've already touched on why we've got an epidemic. It's just so easy. Years ago... Um you would have had to sneak down to your local news agents and while the news agent wasn't looking, um, go into the appropriate part of your news agent's magazine rack and just furtively flick through magazines. And maybe if you were bold enough, you actually got one of those magazines and then you had to sort of think, hmm, how do I hide it when I get home and all this sort of thing. And how do I, you know, how do I avoid being um, being labelled a sex addict by the news agent? So there, there, there were sort of arguments, so, or sorry, not there were not to make there were barriers uh, to um, pornographic images. But now um, you can get it um, anywhere. Uh, you can just um, even when, when even when you're not looking for it. Even really. when you're not looking for it, that, that's yeah. exactly right. Uh, you, and and you you can log on to computers. I mean, I, I think someone would say that I think pornography basically was the thing that drove a lot of um, the advance of the internet. Um, it is it is very 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 widespread. You can view it now in private rather than do so in public. Um, you can hide your tracks to an extent. Yep. Um, just just in passing, you can't hide your tracks so much when it comes to things like child pornography because there are very clever people who can forensically uh, analyse a disc and so on and so on. But that 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 that's another issue. Look, and and I think I think what's happened there, whether it's as a result or a cause or whatever, our society is sexualized. It exalts sex, and I think pornography reflects that and feeds that. Um, we we had a century or so ago a, a repression of sexuality that you didn't talk about sex or, you know you almost denied your sexuality and sadly that was part of, of the Christian church's approach uh, now you, the pendulum's just gone so far the other way um, now, now I, I think I think we've got to be careful about defining pornography I think too why are Christians against it well we're against it not because we're against sex I think Christians have to say this again and again no, it's not so much we're against sex. It's, it's perhaps I think ironically, it's because we're we're for sex because God actually created sex. It was it was one of His inventions. We didn't invent it. Um, God made it, and we think that pornography actually um, um, harms it. Um, we don't think pornography is something that enhances human sexuality. It's something that um, demeans it. 
Um, that's why Christians are against it. Uh, some people will say, oh, you Christians, you've got a hang-up about sex. No, I don't think, well, some Christians might, but but it's not so much we have a hang-up about sex. It's just that we think, hey, hang on, sex belongs in a certain context and is expressed in a certain way, and uh, uh, human beings are made in the image and likeness of God, and uh, we reckon that um, pornography actually um, uh, doesn't uh, reflect that. See, it conveys human beings as merely sexual beings. Whenever a pornographic image is there in front of you, that person has been presented to you purely as a sexual being. Um, it can wreck marriages because pornography conjures up this ideal of the or the fantasy of the ideal person. And so, without all the hang-ups of a real all, relationship, exactly right. So then, when you you log off your pornographic image and turn to your husband or your wife, yeah, you're dealing with a real person. Um, you know, putting the kids to bed and doing the washing up and vacuuming and all this sort of thing. I mean, pornography divorces you a lot from reality. And also, Christians do believe that sex is special and yet private. And what is special and private, you know, from a Christian point of view, in the pornography industry is taken out into the public sphere. Um, and it, it, it exposes what really is meant to be special and private. Christians don't have a problem with nakedness as such, sexuality as such, but we want to say, hey, in its appropriate context, and when it's taken out of its context, um, it tends to demean what God made it for. And because I think ultimately what pornography does is to divorce sex from love. It's sexual eroticism taken out of its proper context. Again, nothing wrong with sexual eroticism in its proper context. But when you take it out of its context, when you divorce sex from love, um, it, 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 it changes what God designed it to be. And also the other thing that it's one of the interesting studies that people have shown or, or people have um, uh, studied just recently is that, is that um, pornography is itself addictive and it changes the way our brains operate. There's a sort of a con um, a, a, a study called, um, or, or a term called neuroplasticity, mm. which is to do with how our brains function. And it seems from some people who've done studies that, that if you are addicted to pornography, um, it changes the way your brain operates. Um, and not in a helpful way either. You start to see people of the opposite sex through the filter and the grid of the pornography you viewed and 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 because as i said before of the rather private nature of pornography now um you can actually kids can access pornography easily um you might have to have passwords on your computer and all that sort of thing but dear me you've got to work very hard to um keep them from it so the problems i see david is that as you say it divorces uh divorces you from reality which then impacts your intimacy and your relationships with your wife or your partner, really. And so it's it's basically leading to a destruction of intimacy, which is causing, yeah, a lack of communication. Sure. And, yeah, because you're finding satisfaction from uh, a fantasy. That's right. You see, it, it's a little bit... It's, it's, whenever we excessively fantasize, let's say if you're married uh, to another human being who's imperfect and you decide to immerse yourself in a daydream and a fantasy of the perfect marriage partner, um, that makes it so much harder to relate to your existing marriage partner. When you fantasize and idealize about the Christian church, you have these fantasies about, if only I could belong to the perfect church, if only the church would be better, it is 
it means that you can't really relate to the flesh and blood reality of the imperfect church you've got around you. So pornography is almost like a more extreme version of that um, in in the sexual sphere. Um, Human sexuality is all tied up with some complexities and problems and all this sort of thing. Uh, We know that. Um, But in order to solve or pornography doesn't actually solve those pornography actually just takes you out of the real life context within which these this must be wrestled with into a fantasy world uh which is in a sense unattainable so that's one of the reasons why pornography is so addictive in a sense that you it never really can never really satisfy you as it were um you've got to go more and more and more and more and more if Mm. you're addicted to it now now i know there are people who can sort of as it were stumble on it and wrestle with it a bit but be not addicted to it I, i i do understand that but it is so easy to be drawn into it uh, to be addictive, and it's a secret addiction. It's not quite like alcohol or gambling and so on, which is more in the open. Uh, you can have the most respectable upright of people who are actually addicted to pornography because it's a private addiction. Which causes all kinds of issues with guilt and shame mm. and all mm. that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, at the other side, which we haven't discussed about, but, but it's an obvious, is the exploitation of the whole pornographic industry, of the exploitation of women and, and I guess, guys as well, but sure. t- particularly in developing countries and all that kind of oh, stuff. That, 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 that's right, yes. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are, are, are being exploited by it. Now, some people would say, well, but hang on, you know, they're actually getting an income, they're actually getting money where they wouldn't actually get that before. And there may be some actual level of truth in that, that they may be getting an income, but at what cost? Because they are actually being, they are being exploited. There's, there's, there's no doubt about that. Um, and, and, and I think this is part. Uh, it contributes, I think, to the, the, the problems in gender relationships. How men treat women, mm. um, the language, um, and the, the attitude towards women in, in the pornography industry is, um, is not good. And I, I, you see, we're made in the, we're made in God's image. And we're precious in his sight. And um, I think uh, I think while some people might argue in an extreme sense, well, well, God's made sex, God's made females and males sexual, well, why not sort of flaunt it, as it were? Oh, I think that, that that's a false conclusion. Um, God may well have made male and female sexual, as he certainly did, but because male and female very early on in the piece rebelled against God and decided to be independent of him, God had to, as it were, metaphorically make fig leaves for them. In other words, what God seems to be saying there from the that, that, that account in Genesis, which may well be a metaphor, but, it's, it, but, it's a, but it expresses an actual reality, which is, boy, you guys have messed up your sexuality or you messed up relationship with one another. You've messed up your sexuality and I'm not, I'm not going to call sexuality bad, but I'm going to have to protect it and safeguard it. And what pornography can do is to, as it were, um, both metaphorically and literally, strip off that protection and that safeguard so that um, our sexuality is out there right in the open. But because it is right out there in the open, it's in an unhealthy context and uh, again, I stress that Christians are not against pornography because they're somehow or other ashamed of or horrified at sex, but rather they want to say sex is a very valuable and in a sense a fragile thing because of our disobedience to God, and therefore we need to protect and nurture it. I guess if you're struggling uh, or have uh, wanted to know more about, uh, I guess, getting out of uh, addictions like that, Triple X Church online is uh, well worth checking out, Craig Gross. 
Uh, he specializes in that, David, uh, in, in, in uh, pornography addiction and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, look, I, I think there are, uh, it, it is a silent addiction amongst Christians. Uh, and I'm happy to hear that because I think, because uh, sadly, Christians can sometimes see sexual sins as the worst of all, and that not necess- may not necessarily be so, uh, that, that, that they keep it so much to themselves and therefore not only have they got a problem with pornography and addiction and so on but they've got they've got a problem with guilt and i think it's good to hear of christians who are meeting this head on and saying hey uh you're a pornography addict um you're not alone um god doesn't hate you um but there is a better way yep uh, yes, you're listening to LifeWords Q&A with David Ray, Andrew Morris. Let's move to uh, our second question, David. And it's uh, a Christian friend tells me she only listens to Christian music. Is there such a thing? Well, if there is, I'd like to know what it is. Um, uh, years ago, um, a keen, very keen group of people in our youth group, I, I, I heard them uh, saying that they were destroying all their, well, this was in the days of records and cassettes and so on, they were destroying any music that wasn't Christian. And my reaction to that was, well, how on earth are you deciding? Now, fair enough, you might want to destroy music that is terrible and utterly pagan and not helpful to you. I can understand that. But but, but it's hard to define. You see, is, is it just... Is Christian music that which is written by a Christian? Well, well, I'd want to say, well, hang on, those who aren't Christians can write songs which convey profound Christian thoughts. I mean, one of my favourite groups in the past was Simon and Garfunkel, and many of their lyrics conveyed wonderfully profound Christian thoughts. Even some of the Beatles' more lyrical stuff uh, mm. could do that. Many, many people who aren't Christians... Um, convey profound Christian thoughts. Then again, there are songs without words, instrumentals, classical music. Um, that someone did mention to me, well, 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 is is Beethoven a Christian composer? Well, from what I know, Beethoven was not a Christian. But uh, how on earth are we to decide whether a Beethoven symphony is Christian or otherwise? Um, some of Wagner's operas convey some pagan ideas, and Wagner himself had some very funny old racist ideas, which mm. were picked up by the Third Reich. Um, but his music is glorious. I mean, I listened to Wagner, and and so. In the end, I, I have a real problem with this, um, you should only listen to Christian music. I'd rather put it, you should listen to music which, as it were, uplifts you, uh, enhances life and so on. And I think there are some um, words, some lyrics in music which are not terribly life-enhancing and so on, and you then have to decide, well, that might not be the sort of song I want to listen to. There's some um, death metal music and some extreme music around the place that I, I think actually could be feeding harmful ideas into people. But but I, I, I think we've got to be very um, discerning. You see, a song can have lyrics which speak of adultery or deceit. But then again, uh, you could well profitably listen to it because it's speaking about the pain that those things entail. And, and it might not be anti-Christian, just depending on its perspective. I mean, if some people listening to this knew some of the music that I liked and some of the songs that I appreciate, you might be shocked. And, and vice versa, I might be shocked with the songs that you like. <laughs> I, I watched a, a DVD, a documentary, Bruce Springsteen and I, uh, earlier this year. And it was all about, it was, it was a film made by his fans of what Bruce Springsteen meant to them and it was amazing to see the impact of an artist who has had and spoken into the lives of millions of people 
it, it was just an amazing testimony of just uh, just just a he's a musician who who has moved people to tears who has changed and shaped these people's lives you know and you know whether Bruce has got a faith or not doesn't really matter it, it, it you know he he has lifted up many people's lives and I think in a previous episode we've spoken about grace and common grace and God gifts uh, gifts those that love him and those that don't love him with with gifts whether that be a doctor or a musician an artist that kind of stuff and God can use the Christian or the non-christian to speak a message and that's right I, I mean I mean some of these songs you, you Springsteen you've got many others you can argue that um, one one um, part of the song can be highly uplifting and inspiring then you might find a problem with another couple of lines or something but in the end what are you going to do you see I've got a problem with this this this, this person who this person's Christian friend only listening to Christian music I'm thinking what are you blocking yourself off from some wonderful things and yes how are you making that decision um, if it is, it, 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 how are you? Yes, how are you defining what's Christian music? Because I honestly can't uh, finally decide what is Christian music. The only thing I can do is to sort of almost come from the opposite direction. As long as a song is not anti-Christian and destroying my faith in God and dehumanising people, um, I think it's okay. And I'm even prepared to go along with some songs where some of the elements of that song, some of the lyrics are in fact um, not so good, but there's others that are. And so I take it as a mixed bag. But remember years and years ago, decades ago, this was when rock music first came out. You know, a lot of the fundamentalist Christian preachers were just going on and on and on about how the rhythm itself Mm. uh, was terrible. And I I sent an article once to my son-in-law, who's a drummer, actually a Christian guy who's a drummer and, and said to him, hey, read this article because the article was all about how drums are of the devil. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, I remember there was some documentary called Hell's Bells that we were all shown at school because the headmaster was concerned about what we were listening to and uh, looking at artists and certain chords and certain styles of music that are not of, of God, that are of the devils. But I would, uh, David, I would say that music and art is a gift from God. Didn't God create music? Yes, music and art are a gift from God. Now, mind you, there, 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 are, there, there is an argument that some music, some art for that matter, which is another matter, it, it conveys the sense in which these people have given up on God. There's some extreme forms of music, both in the popular sphere and even in the classical sphere, which seems to, as it were, say there is no meaning in this universe at all. Um, one classical composer, John Cage, wrote a very famous symphony, which was three minutes of silence. Well, I think it's three <laughs> or five minutes of silence, absolute silence. Now, I think that's driving what we call the philosophy of nihilism, which is that nothing really means anything, to its extreme. I think there are extremes. There are extremes in some of the heavy metal sort of stuff, which is basically... Um, deliberately saying there is no form to this music. Some art is like that. Some abstract art is very much like it. The artist is more or less saying there is no order, there is only chaos. Uh, And so some of the Salvador Dali and Picasso abstract art was a bit like that. So I do believe there's some art and music and writing and so on which which conveys a a perspective which, which is saying... This, the God is not here. This is this. We are in an alien universe, and I don't. I would think that that is not actually that helpful. Um, but but 
I honestly think that's in the minority. I certainly don't think that a particular sort of rhythm, a particular sort of music is intrinsically not Christian. But I would say that as as a person who appreciates classical music, that a a J.S. Bach, who seemingly was a Christian, Bach's music has a certain neatness and mathematical order to it that, say, some of the more contemporary composers might not. Now, that doesn't mean that you'd never listen, should not listen to the contemporary composers, but it may indicate that Bach was more in touch with the order and the beauty of the universe than, say, one of the later composers was. Uh, And so, therefore, you could argue from a Christian point of view, listening to classical music, that you, you may get more uplift from Bach, but it still wouldn't mean that you should never listen to a contemporary music, a contemporary musician, because that musician is simply conveying an attitude of there is no meaning, there's no order in the universe, because you can listen to that without necessarily liking it or appreciating it and saying, well, yeah, this is one perspective that some people have. You're listening to LifeWords Q&A. I hope that's helped you a little bit, being a radio station that plays a lot of music and some Christian music as such. Uh, interesting conversation. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot more of that discussion online as well. Okay, David, our final question is a work colleague tells me he's a Christian, but not one of those born-again fanatics. Uh, I'd be interested to know where those born-again fanatics came from, but how do I, how do I respond to him? Yeah, look, I think uh, it's an interesting opening that you got there um, because this person is reflecting, I think, a common misunderstanding of just what is a Christian. I'd, I'd love almost to abolish the word Christian and come up with another one because I think it's subject to so much misunderstanding. You see... Um, now, Christian isn't mentioned in the Bible, is it? No, no, well, it is mentioned once in Acts. The oh, okay. disciples were first called Christians okay. in Antioch. Um, but, 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 I mean, yes, it's not a word that's mentioned or thrown around a lot. We're followers of the way. We're followers of Jesus and so on. You see, I reckon this work colleague is saying... Perhaps he's saying he's defining Christianity in terms of I'm not a Muslim, I'm not a Buddhist, and I somehow believe in some God somewhere, or I'm a decent person, therefore I'm a Christian. Well, I think I would want to say, well, no, none of that is actually um, necessarily what constitutes being a Christian. You see, some people are simply defining Christianity in terms of I'm not one of those other faiths, or I've got a belief in a supreme being or I'm a good person. And I think the Bible wants to say that, no, there's more to it than that. So this person might well be saying, oh, look, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of a Christian like that, but I'm not one of those born-again fanatics. And as you said, I mean, what, what, what on earth is a born-again fanatic? I think, I think when I was growing up, uh, you, you would associate born-again with a denomination of a particular style, let's say uh, a Pentecostal kind of thing, mm. but mm. which is not correct. I mean, if you look in the, the New Testament, you are to be born again, aren't you, David? Yes, yes, you are to be born again. I think what this person is 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 is, is sort of trying to differentiate, and, and fair enough, they're saying, I'm not one of those fanatical extreme fundamentalists, and sadly there are mm. some fanatical extreme fundamentalists amongst born-again Christians. But I think it would be right for this person who writes the question to engage in some good-natured conversation to remind them that, look, Jesus did say we've all got to be born again to be a Christian, and there's no such thing as a Christian who is not born again. So this person's first of all got, I think, a basic misunderstanding about what a Christian is, um, and you've then got the opportunity opportunity then to talk about the need for a personal response to Jesus and and all, all, all that sort of thing and to say uh, to say to say to them well, 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 born again fanatics what are you talking about 
um, because this person might have a a funny old misunderstanding of what Christianity is all about. You see, my my, my theory is that that there are some people who are are rejecting Christianity when they're not not rejecting Christianity at all. They're rejecting some some parody of it, some Mm. uh, extreme of it. Now, of course, some Christians can be like attack dogs and extremists and all that, and I think it's good for this person to be able to admit that and say, oh, yes, look, some Christians are fanatics, just like some Muslims are fanatics. Um, But at the same time, to talk about being born again, not as a synonym for fanaticism or right-wing politics, because that's the other thing that can come in, but a description of what it is to have a new life direction, to be able to say Jesus, when he talked about being born again, was not saying become a rabid right-wing extremist. He was talking about change your life orientation. And so I think this person's got an opportunity to actually talk about what truly being a Christian is. It's just that I, th- I think, yes, it, it's reflecting this common misunderstanding of what a Christian is. Uh, when people say this is a Christian country or so on, no, it's not, can't be, it's not a Christian country. No country is Christian as such. Only individuals can be. Um, so I, I think this person's got the opportunity to do that. But again, it sadly reflects, doesn't it, how common it is in the wider society that people tend to think um, that, that uh, true Christians are fanatics, um, or that everyone's really a Christian unless they've declared for another faith. So the answer pretty much is let's skip over that born again and get to the meat of what he's actually saying. That's right, and and, and to define what born again is. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, the born again thing has really been hijacked, I believe, by some, um, some of the right-wing culture in the United States, particularly in the political sphere, and I think it's been hijacked when I think Jesus was meaning something quite well more 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 radical with it, um, but uh, and mind you, another one person's fanaticism is another person's deep commitment and passion. So yeah, we've got yeah. to understand that as well. David, thanks again for joining us this week. Thank you. Look forward to catching up uh, next time when we continue our discussion about life and faith. And thanks for your company. If you've got a question, you can email us lifewords at hopemedia.com.au. And uh, why don't you check out our previous episodes? There's around 17 of them that you can get your, your ears into. And uh, we'd love to hear some feedback from you as well. Till next time, see ya.